stopped working. Yay! I don't know what happened. I, 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 I don't, I don't. You know, Lavetta, we're coming on two years of this. Is it two years? Yeah, like I think August. Wait, was it August or? Oh my god, I can't remember now. I don't know. Anyways, I'm getting younger. Yeah, yeah, you are. You you look at every day. Thank you. So do you, by the way. Like FYI, (laughs) we're both so pretty and 22 years old. Just, oh God, no, I don't want to be 22. No, again, that, but, that, nope, uh, <laughs> nope, nope. I mean, I did it. It was, it was fine. Yeah. But I'm done now. But we just spent like 20 minutes trying to figure out this freaking garage band. It but... was solidly 40 minutes, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> oh, before we get started, I do have to say that I saw Aladdin and I loved <gasps> it. Did you really? I did not think I was going to love it. Okay, so then I have to go see it. I'm going to take my kids this weekend it's, if you it's know, still out. Yeah, I, I'm one of those people. I don't like the live action remakes. I'm, I like although, the animated wait ones. Wait a minute, though. Did you see the trailer for Mulan? No, I haven't seen the trailer for Mulan. Girl, I am so ready for okay, this. Okay, I'll check that out. This is It's funny. My kids like random music, and so sometimes if I don't own it, I'll just like go to YouTube. Yeah. And YouTube showed you know, five seconds of the ad for Mulan. And I was like, hold, sit down. We're going to watch this trailer together. Okay. It, I mean, I don't think, I don't know that five-year-olds should see Mulan live action. Oh, maybe, yeah. They've seen the the movie. They yeah, were yeah, really yeah. into the movie. Yeah, the, I like the animated one. She, Even the she was King. a Just, notorious woman. Yeah, but that's the, right. You covered her. Um, I feel like some of it's too real, but the Mulan story uh-huh. is actually like a really good empowering story for young girls yeah yeah but i just i don't know i didn't think i was gonna like aladdin but a friend of mine wanted to see it and i wanted to hang out with her so i went to see it you were like and fine i loved it like I yeah think, like, maybe because i don't remember the old one maybe but you know i was obsessed with the old one in high school a lot of people were <gasps> oh my god i saw it 16 times in the theater mm. 16 one six mm-hmm. wow. one six it was so good, though. And I have to admit, I love seeing brown people. Yes. Um, I loved uh, the two leads were fantastic. Yeah, I don't really? know where they found them, but they were great. Will Smith was great as a genie. He's a genie. Oh, he, my God. OK. He didn't try and do Robin Williams because you cannot outdo you out kind Robin of, Williams. You have Robin to Williams. just do something yeah. totally different because yeah. you just the, he was the magic. Issue in the I movie. would say is that um, no one had a great voice except the girl. Oh, really? Jasmine. The girl plays Jasmine. Her voice, I was like, oh, she's obviously musical theater. Yeah. Like, the real deal. Like, the lead guy, not so much Will Which, Smith, not so much I singing. I mean, the thing that I will say that bothers me with these things is that, like, like the Beauty and the Beast live action, yeah. like, my kids were really into it when uh-huh. it when it came out on Netflix. And there's a, there, I love Hermione, what's her name? I forget her name, but I Emma love Watson. Emma Watson is a great human being right. and a very talented actress. But there's a beautiful song in the Broadway version that they could not keep in the movie because she can't hit those notes. I mean, I can't yeah. either, so don't cast me <laughs> either. But <laughs> like that, yeah, there. You, there's so many talent. There's so many. It makes it look like there's like four people who can hit notes, but nobody else no, can. No. But the reality is there's so many very talented people they could have hired yeah. that they didn't. And Most I, of whom were in the Broadway show. Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Because it's like, just get the people who actually yeah. did the Broadway show. I don't understand. Like, I mean, I get that they want Will Smith because he's probably the like the big star, like the other two were and unknown. his song is not hard. Yeah, his song is not hard. I, I think can when do they it. Release the uh, the great Prince Ali. Like when they released that yeah. song, you're like, ah, because that's actually not the best. He did a great job with the the famous one. Da, 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 you never had a like me. Yes. Yeah. So like he did a great job with that, and like I just loved it, and I kind of teared up at the end. So I highly recommend it. I um, really, okay. really loved it. It was I'm fun. Gonna, although well, I'm gonna take my kids to it, but I will tell you that anytime I tear up and cry, yeah. and I do it in every every Disney, <laughs> like Ralph breaks the internet. I was like, we were friends, and now they're like that really. And yeah. my kids, like it's very, very sweet. But they freak their shit with yeah. mommy crying. It's true. And it, I showed them the Mulan yeah. uh, trailer and I started to cry because it's, you know, the, the trailer, you have to say the trailer, but it's basically the, the scene where they say, 
we have someone for you to marry. You have to. And she reacts. And it's, you know, the, it's just very moving. And I yeah. started to cry. There was like, mommy, mo-, and my son literally grabs both sides of my mouth and lifts it up to try to make me smile, which is the cutest thing. Enjoy in the- it while it lasts, girl. I know, right? they're so sweet. And they just. It's going to go away. Yeah. I will be so don't. sad. Because, you know, they're like, mommy crying. That It's like, no kid wants to Ma- see that. No, they really like. Mommy, stop. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. it's okay. It's called catharsis. Yeah. And they're like, no, I'm five. It's like, mm. yeah. So it was, I highly recommend it. I felt we left the theater feeling really good. And, like, and oh, the guy played Jafar was excellent. Oh, really? He was so good. Like, I love an evil character. He was really, really good. It was really good. So okay. I highly recommend it. I'm so. going to take him this weekend, I think. So since it took us an hour and a half to yeah, get we started, should probably we should get started. Mm-hmm. So uh, hi, I'm Lavetta. Hi, I'm Miriam. And this is Notorious Women Podcast. The yes. podcast about, it's a comedy podcast. It's funny. About some of history's <laughs> most notorious women. Yes. So welcome. So this week, I think you're first. I Darla. think I am first. So who's your notorious woman this okay, week? Okay, so my notorious woman, my friend Amy, Hi, Amy. Hi, Amy. Um, she suggested this one. And so I was like, okay, cool. Okay. Um, it's funny because I'll get texts from people and then I'll like, they get lost. Right. And then, so I was going through texts and then I was like, Amy, you. And she's like, yeah, it was me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so this is a very interesting woman from a, from an area we haven't talked about much. Okay. Um, her name is... Saida Salme. Saida Salme? Yeah. Okay. Uh, she was born, a.k.a. Emily Reuter. Okay. okay. Oh, okay. Uh, born August 30th, 1844. Okay. I have to say that this, the last maybe four or five mm-hmm. have had their birthdays. We're all summer birthdays. Huh. It's like the summer started and I fi- I'm finding summer people. Oh, summer babies. Yeah. Huh. It's, it's a sign. We'll take I don't it, know, yeah. Right? Um, so August 30th, 1844, um, her uh, her official name is Salama Bint Said. Okay. Uh, she's a princess of Zanzibar and Oman. Oh. She's the youngest of 36 children. Whoa, 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 whoa. 36 children, but... The Sultan had more than one possible human to birth him children. Okay, so wife and concubine. Mm-hmm, okay. Right. 36. So, 36. Must be. It's good to be Sultan. You know, <laughs> I'm going to feed and house and and spoil rotten 36 children. I mean, with that said, I mean, the man who is a Sultan is the one who can afford to have 36 or 40 fair. children. It's so. Speaking of Aladdin, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it is where I learned the word Sultan because I am educated in America. <laughs> um, uh, her father was Saeed. Saeed said, I don't know. Saeed said. Saeed said. It's spelled said. Okay. Mm, but it's probably not said. But maybe it is. Saeed said bin Sultan al-Busad. Busaid. He was the Sultan of Zanzibar and Oman. I'm going to stop talking. Uh, Her mother was Jilfidan, and she was a Circassian concubine. Circassian? It's like that side of the world. Yeah. Um, Her first years were spent in a huge palace called Beit il Mitoni uh, by the sea. It was called Stone Town. Okay. She was bilingual in both Arabic and Swahili. Okay. In 1851, she moved to Beit. I'm saying Beit. It's Bet. Bet. Yeah. I speak a little Hebrew, and so I'm I'm thinking the languages are similar. And you know, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Zanzibar is on the eastern coast of Africa? Girl. Okay. Just wondering. But I think it's the eastern coast. Yeah. I think. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I think so, because it's closer... It's closer to Ethiopia to, than, yeah. than Ghana. But, yeah. Okay, because Ghana's west. This so. is, I know that, I think I know that. I think Zanzibar. We are so American. Wow. Forgive us. <sighs> I'm sorry to interrupt um, you. No. <laughs> it's true. And reveal our ignorance as Americans. Yeah. At least we're going to look it up and <laughs> yeah. learn something. That's right. good, right? Right, exactly. Um, so she was bilingual 
and much smarter than you and I put together, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1851, she moved to Beit il Watoro, uh, the house of her brother Majid bin Said of Zanzibar, okay. who was later a sultan. Oh. Her brother taught her to ride and to shoot. So at this point, she's seven years old and she's learning how to ride and to shoot, um, which was slightly unusual for women. In 1853, she moved with her mother to Beit Il Tani, and she secretly taught herself to write, which is a very unusual skill oh, for a so, woman. And, and you know, so it always very strikes smart. me as like, you think royalty, like they learn, but no, they they intentionally no, kept they them, keep, especially the women. They keep them just as ignorant. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Actually, Zanzibar is it's on... Like, it's actually, it's, um, it's off the coast of... Of East Africa, so it is. It's like closer to the Middle East. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm like, it's that way, Lavetta. It's that way. It's a semi-autonomous region of Tanzania. Ah. It is composed of the Zanzibar Archipelago in the Indian Ocean. Okay, so okay, and the official language is Swahili, Arabic, and English. Yes. Okay. Uh, not. I don't think English at this time. Right. That's, no, uh, that's, no. That, that's later. Now everyone has to speak okay, English yes. because we took over. But when you said Swahili, um, I was like, oh, because I think Zanzibar yeah. was a very important uh, trading. Yes. Yes. Um, nation. So they're pretty powerful. Yeah. Uh, so her father died in 1856. So she's oh, 12. Oh. Um, she and they declared her of age, which meant she could receive her paternal inheritance. Oh, OK. Um which is great because my when I first read that I was like oh they're gonna marry her off oh, yeah, no they just gave her money oh and, and stuff that's she got good a, she got a plantation oh okay with a residence to oh. live at and she got five thousand four hundred and twenty nine pounds at twelve oh, at oh, twelve okay she's so, living her best life okay you know oh, okay I could she I mean she probably made better decisions than like. I would when I was 12. Like, Listen, a 12-year-old girl has more sense than most of us. <laughs> it's as I we mean, get older, 15, then we start to lose that's it. That's actually true. That's actually <laughs> a true. A 12-year-old girl is actually Because a 15-year-old girl's go to the mall yeah. and getting everything. But a 12-year-old girl's like, that's stupid. I'm going to read like, my book. Why? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go read in a tree. Bye. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I was did me. a lot of that. Um, so her brother, Saeed. Oh, Lord. I'm so sorry. <laughs> It's me in every other language I, except Japanese. I know, right? <laughs> Japanese. This time was Japanese. I'm like, Levada, say that. <laughs> um, Said Thawaini bin Said Al Said. That's not bad. No. I mean, it's probably not good, <laughs> but it might not, you know, I think, you know, you could translate that into. Give us Arabic I'm speakers. So sorry. I'm so sorry. Much respect. And it's all, I'm saying it with a probably in Hebrew accent, which is probably not. <laughs> The same. Hey, I, you guys I know. are cousins. So. We're, co- we're super. Totally cousins. We're soups cousins. Yep. Okay. We're like the same people. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, her brother, that guy that I just said. Yes. Right. He became Sultan of Muscat and Oman. Brother Majid became Sultan of Zanzibar. Oh. Their mother died in 1859. And so she received her maternal inheritance, which was three plantations. So she has 5,000. What is it? Pounds, what I say, pounds, and four plantations. Four, okay. Uh, that year, a dispute broke brothers Majid and Bargash. She favored Majid, but her favorite sister, Kuala, made her side with Bargash. So it's... Okay, sibling... Soups drama. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. days of our lives. Those were the days of their lives. God. I mean... I could totally imagine me and one of my brothers turning against the other brother. Right. And then it would switch off. And then both of them turning against me. I could totally. But then. Yeah. I could. But not having. I don't have four yeah, plantations. That you don't have army. four. <laughs> yeah. You and I would be like, I'm just going to. I'm yeah. just going to go to one of my residences and <laughs> have my butler prepare me a meal. Right. While I get my foot massaged yeah. from the other butler. Okay. Bye, yeah. guys. Um, so because she could write, she acted as secretary of Bargash's party. She was 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. So she, with the help of an English gunboat, the insurrection of Bargash was brought to an end. He was sent into exile in Bombay for two years 
And she withdrew to Kisimbani, which was one of her estates. Okay. She re- re- she, yeah, she returned to Stonetown, where she lived mm-hmm. up till seven, and made up with Majid. Bargash never forgave her for that, and her favorite sister split ties with her. Oh. So, like, she could, it was like a lose-lose. Yeah, they're fighting. Um, siblings fight. I know, it's so annoying. Because they know each other so well, too. But then they kind of yeah. don't know each other, because they think of you, well, like, if you're an annoying four-year-old, they always think of you as an annoying four-year-old. But, like, I can see, like, Majid, like, she lived with him when she was really little, yeah. and he taught her things, and he yeah. took interest in her. Like, I That's get that. older brother. Yeah. yeah. Um... But then the other brother's like, well, you like him better than me. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, yeah. she, you yeah. know, they, but then she had a favorite sister. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Um, these are the days of their lives. <laughs> um, in Stonetown, she became acquainted with her neighbor, a German merchant named Rudolf Heinrich Reuter, and got pregnant. Oh, no, girl. Mm-hmm. No, no. Yeah. yeah. So, this so, is what, 18... 1866. Oh, that's not a good time to get involved with Europeans. No. If you're not European. Mm. Anywhere mm. near Africa, the Middle no. East, not a good idea. Mm. No, 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 no. Mm. This is royalty. That, they're the super assholes. Yeah. They're the like, oh, asshole like of assholes. Things. You think you saw an asshole? Hold my beer is what Europe said. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't like the sound of this. I'm getting so afraid. Don't get afraid. Okay. Because it's fine. Okay. Kinda. You'll see. Okay. August 1866, her pregnancy became obvious. So she fled aboard the British frigate HMS Highflyer and was given passage on his ship to the British colony of Aden. So I think because of her status, Mm -hmm. she was able to sneak away. I think any less of her status and bad things. But But she's a Muslim woman, right? I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. Who's unmarried. She took Christian instruction. Okay. So probably that was part of the, I repent my ways of heathenism. Yeah. And I will raise right. So she said the right words. Okay. Um, she was baptized before her marriage. Uh, that she she married him at a den on May thirtieth, eighteen sixty seven. She changed her name to Emily. Oh. So she basically whitewashed herself. Yes. So most likely, based on letters she later wrote to her sister, she stayed Muslim in secret. She kept avoiding pork and she wrote to her sister that she dreaded going to church and she really just did what she had to do to survive survive so she gave birth to a son heinrich in a den in december 1866 and he died in france which is very sad en route to germany in the summer of 1867 so six months old that like breaks my heart oh i can't imagine uh, they settled in Hamburg, and they had another son and two daughters, all living. Okay. Antonia Thock Reuter, born March 1868. Rudolf Said Reuter, born April 1869. Oh, Said, she gave him. Yeah. Oh, the cool. names are really interesting because it's all combined. Yeah. And Rosalie Guza Reuter, born. April 1870. So March 1868, April 1869, April 1870. Oh, my Lord. Three babies. Now, I had twins, and I wouldn't trade for that. That's insane. Honestly, I'm getting tired just from I'm, the chronological order of her I babies. mean, I feel like the three-year-old, you're like, potty train yourself. Wow. And learn how to use this mill because... Now, did Heinrich have money, I wonder? So did they have help or? Yes, he um, he, he was okay. He yeah. was a merchant when oh, they okay. did okay. well. Okay, he's a merchant, okay. So April 1870, she birthed her final baby and her husband died in 1870. Oh, my Lord. Uh-huh. I mean, I wouldn't, with all the help in the world, I'd still be like, I'm fucking tired. I'm fucking tired. Um, and now a widow. I'm not doing more laundry. And then, yeah, I am. And then estranged from your family. Right. By herself. I mean, so he died in a tram accident, which I wonder, like, you know how we have all these, like, safety laws? I wonder yeah. how many people died in, like, stupid fucking ways. Oh, lots. You know? Millions, probably. Oh, my God. Tons. I yeah. mean, a tram accident? Yeah. Like, that's a bad. That's that's dumb. Right? Yeah, it is. Um. So she's a two-year-old. She has a one-year-old, and she has a newborn and a dead husband. 
Oh my god. So okay. So she's like, okay, so fuck, fuck, but whatever. That's not a direct quote. Please don't be angry at me. <laughs> it's probably what I would do. Anyways, so the authorities denied her claim to his inheritance, <gasps> probably because racism, or what is this one's creedism, maybe? Racism, too. Racism, too. Yeah. Like a combination. And xenophobia, the, the Europeans are very afraid of anything. Anything else. Like vaguely swarthy. Like, did you get a tan? Because until that goes away, I don't think yeah. I can be friends with you. Kind of. And like. they had several uh, religious wars. So yeah, yeah. They were like, Muslim, oh, so. are you Muslim and our God? Yeah. Fuck this. Yeah. Yeah. So shitheads. Basically, they're shitheads. That just like. And this woman needs all. She needs. She this needs money. every. Like, are you really denying this woman, you motherfucker? Three kids. So what did she do? She wrote a book called "Memoirs of an Arabian Princess from Zanzibar." It was first published uh, in the German Empire in 1886 and later it was published in the U.S. and the U.K. and Ireland. It's the first known autobiography of an Arab woman. It presents an intimate picture of life in Zanzibar between 1850 and 1865 and an inside portrait of both brothers who were later sultans. Really? Yeah. So she, she got her shit. Girl, you asked me to write two pages of anything? Especially my life, I'd be like, uh, I was born in Florida. I was uh, born in there's, California. There's orange trees. There were orange trees with me too. Flying cockroaches and mm. alligators. That's, yeah, we didn't. That's Florida. Okay. <laughs> so I went to public school and I liked gymnastics. I know. And that would be my autobiography. Yeah, it'd be so boring. Um, She wrote, I mean, and she got it done. Like she got shit done. Well, I guess when you... you got to get make that yeah gotta make that paper and it, i think i mean i don't like there wasn't a ton that i was able to get but like it kind of worked her husband died she was she also so i read here that she was caught up in the colonial plans of otto von bismarck there were speculations that he wanted to install her son as sultan of zanzibar but her son was never sultan of zanzibar and it didn't work and her son was two years old so <laughs> She was probably like, yeah. Mm, That's not going to happen. Mm. Um, so between 1889 and 1914, she lived in Beirut, Lebanon, and Jaffa, which is... Um, wow. It's an Arab... Yeah, yeah. Now it's an Arab part of Israel, but I I don't know how they divvied wow. things up then. Uh, and she died in Jena, Germany, of pneumonia at the age of 79. Aw. February, February 29th. She lived a while, though. She like, did. I wonder if she could not make up with one or both brothers who one's yeah. a sultan. I mean. Well, there is there's a permanent exhibit about her in the People's Palace in Stonetown. The palace was constructed by her brother, the Bargash. Okay. So I wonder if there was. Because you know how brothers are, especially yeah. if they're your older brothers. Mm. Like, they're mad at you. But if you go and be like, please, I'm sorry, please. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, ah, fine. Like, yeah. or they could have been like, if you come back here, I'm going to chop your head off. Because <laughs> like, brothers, it could go either way with brothers. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's just, my, my brother's like, he likes to hold firm until he like looks at your face. And then he's like, oh, okay. Come here. Yeah. You're my sister. <laughs> my brothers, it, they're different. It depends on at what time I get them. Oh, like, really? Yeah, especially my brother James. Like, he can be such a dick. Um, <laughs> but then he can be so sweet sometimes. I like and how really you and I are through. confident that our brothers would never listen to this podcast. No, no. Yeah, not, at all. Like, not even yeah. a little. And then my other brother would kind of say he would do it, but then he wouldn't come through when I really needed him. Like, Really? Yeah, he's that kind of brother. But then sometimes he'll he'll come through and you'll be like, wow, he came through in a major way. Like, Oh, really? Yeah, he's the one that's, he's the oldest and he's the one that, on the surface, you think he's the more dependable one, and the other one who's a dick. Like, it's like my brother James is a dick, but my brother James is like if he says he's gonna do something for you, he'll do it. Okay. If he says he's not gonna do it, he's not gonna do it. Yeah, yeah. It's one I of don't those. really like ask favors of my brother. Yeah, because they're <laughs> I don't either because they're dicks. Like, yeah, just like learned. Also, too, there was like it was a real like we were so different. Mm-hmm. That like while he will still to this day be like, I'm the older brother. I and I'm like, you know that just makes you old, right? Like <laughs> you're not twelve and I'm nine. Like you're yeah. an old man and I'm like this young person. Ha ha. You know, like Yeah. We are just so different that like while he'll try to play that older car, I'm like, you don't know anything about what I do. Yeah. But I don't know anything about what he does. Only I admit that. 
I wonder though, like <laughs> if it's just like I wonder how older sisters are to their younger brothers. I, I always yeah. wanted a little brother, but I did too. I totally wanted a little brother. You know, maybe because I was mean, bossy and I wanted him to do whatever I, I said. I always wanted one, and I wonder if that's why. Like, I really wanted to have a boy yeah. when I was pregnant. Oh. Yeah. Sure got my wish. You got your wish, girl. Well, thank you for that. Can you say her name again? No. Okay, yes. Please. <laughs> Hold on. Let me let me look at it and let me not mess it up. Okay. okay. So Saida Salme, she was born as Salama Bint Said. Um Salme is a is a sort of a nickname for Salama. Oh, okay. Um and Saida is I think like a royal Okay. Okay. term. And then when she converted, she was Emily Reuter. Okay. Um, oh, but I, I don't think she ever connected to I think we'll probably put Saida. Yeah, we should. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, so my Notorious Woman this week is uh, equally interesting. I ran across her, actually, my friend Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. Nicole probably didn't listen to this, but thank you anyway. <laughs> you and I both are being yeah. inspired by friends. I know. She gave me this suggestion. Uh, she sent me this article about this woman. So my Notorious Woman this week is Esther Ng. Have you ever heard of her? No. Uh, so Esther Ng was actually born. Um, okay, I'm gonna butcher her name. She was born. Oh, her name. I was like, you can't say the year. No, she was born. <laughs> Ng, N G, Kamha. Okay. So that's why she changed it right. to Ng. So because stupid Americans like us, we're dumb. Even though she was American, so she was born right. on September 24th, Aww. 1914, in San Francisco. That's the week of our birthday. Yes, that's right. Libra in the house. Um, and her grandparents were originally, uh, they came originally from Taishan, Taishan, um, a county in southern China, Guangdong province. Okay. So her grandparents, so she was American. Okay. Her parents are American. She is Chinese-American. Born in September tw- on September 24th, 1914 in San Francisco. Wow. Now, having been born and raised in a middle-class Chinese-American family in a city that had a large Chinese and Chinese-American population, Esther was introduced to and became a big fan of Cantonese opera at oh. a very young age. Now, growing up, she was often able to socialize with the Cantonese singers and actors who performed in many of the San Francisco Chinese language theaters because there were a lot of them. Yeah. And, uh, and they were very successful and had hosted some of the best actors from China. Wow. So she got to like rub elbows with like superstar Chinese actors. That's from the amazing. Cantonese, yeah, from Cantonese opera. Now, Cantonese opera, for context, is one of the four major categories in Chinese opera. And it is, uh, which is a traditional Chinese art form involving music, singing, martial arts, acrobatics, and acting. Cool. Um, so imagine La Boheme, but there's acrobatics and all this stuff, like amazing. That sounds concepts. more interesting. Yeah, that sounds honestly. amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in 1933, when she was about 19, um, a U.S. screening of the Battle of Shanghai, which was, and remember when we did the anime Wong? Yes. Anime Wong was already fully an, uh, a leading lady in uh, Hollywood movies by this time. But this documentary, The Battle of Shanghai, came out, and it was a documentary about the Chinese resistance against the 1932 Japanese military advance on Shanghai. So the film, The Battle of Shanghai, generated a great deal of patriotic feeling okay. among local Chinese, um, the, mo- the local Chinese communities all throughout the country. That makes sense. So totally. moved by patriotic sentiment, Esther's father started a production company called the Kuang uh, Inge, nope, mm. Ingei mm-hmm. Talking Pictures Company, a.k.a. Cafe Pictures Limited, okay. with a friend and assigned Esther as a producer. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's now, great. I know. Now, the give it up for the daddies yes! who believe in their daughters. Right. Like, who's like, you, you got this. You got this, girl. Uh, now, the studio was based uh, in San Francisco. Uh, but in the meantime, Esther went down to Los Angeles to look for space for the production okay. company. Because that's the yeah, heart of that's, like. And yeah. that's what they did. Yeah. Um, now, her first screen credit as co-producer was on the film Heartache which came out in 1936. Okay. Heartache is set in San Francisco, but was filmed at a rented studio in Hollywood, here in Hollywood, (laughs) and was directed by Frank Tong and was shot in eight days with two reels in color. Oh. In 1936. Wow. Yeah. 
The Los Angeles Times reviewed it and declared that, quote, it was the first Oriental production with sound finish in Hollywood, end quote. Okay. That's amazing. I mean, like, let that sink in. Yeah. Like, it's the first uh, Why don't we talk Asian about that? film, 1936, with sound. Wow. Yeah. So, this was like, yeah, amazing. The next year, the Chinese Digest, an English language periodical published from the West Coast a Chinese community, announced that the San Francisco premiere of Heartaches, along with the news that Miss Ng and the film's leading actress, Miss Fong, Wei Kim Fong. So, there's a Chinese actress, leading lady, who's the lead in this film, okay. Wei Kim Fong. Yeah, we should that they would go to, so they would go to China shortly to seek prospective film stars for their coming production. So they were going to okay. go there. They're going to premiere it there to you know yeah, set up yeah, business. Yeah. Now the local population, the local publication Rose reported that the two women were welcomed in Hong Kong in June of 1936 by a slew of film companies and local media. To those present, Esther declared her wish to promote Chinese national filmmaking in the U.S. So she wanted to bring yes. more Chinese productions, which is so interesting in the 1930s. Yes. Yeah. She would not return to the U.S., however, without making a splash in Hong Kong. Thanks to publicity drumming up its, um, its Hollywood pr production credits and the film's patriotic content, the film caused a sensation in Hong Kong. Um, really? Singapore and Guang Guangzhou. So she became a big star, like, because they're like, oh, Americans are making propaganda. You know, our Chinese American folks are making this film to help our cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She then registered her, um, the production company in Hong Kong and took her career in a bold and risky direction by settling into making more movies in Hong Kong. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's amazing. I wonder why she didn't go back to... Probably just easier because also you go where they, they want you. So if you yeah. go there and they're like, oh, my God, you, yeah, let's probably it was much easier. Yeah. yeah. Now, what makes her notorious and an all around badass, I wrote here, is that not only was she directing and producing films in the 1930s, she was also openly gay. What? Yes. Oh, my God. Esther Ng's like, yeah, bitches. Esther Ng, everybody, tell yeah. everybody else. Openly gay. We need to talk about this shit because so my friend who once told me that gay was invented in the 90s, I mean, I guess he was wrong. The 1990s, right? He was like, that, that was didn't Was it invented start. in a Petri dish? Well, yeah. Like it was like, I think, 94, 93, maybe. Oh, okay. You know, something like that. Okay. Um, that's when gay was. Okay. So um, so before that, there was there no, no gay. There were no gay people. Okay. No. Oh, yeah. there's no gay. So <laughs> gay wasn't there. But then it was there. I mean, Because we, we were laugh. in high school. We laugh, but people are dumb. That people actually believe this no, crap. they do. Yeah, but... So I guess so there was one like, gay before the 90s. Yeah. She was that one gay in the 1930s. That, like, that's the thing. That's what... Like, she is and very... And she was open about a it. A very good representation of why history matters. Yeah. Because people are... Yeah. People... People think if I'm, I'm gay... If yep. I'm Asian or any any yep. ethnicity trans, that's not, like, whatever well, then it I is. can't do. Yes, you can, and yeah. yes, they did. And these people existed, but what what the problem is is that a lot of times their um, history has been obscured yes. or rubbed out yep. or smeared out or what have you. So, oh my but God. no, Esther was was chilling um, and also openly. Esther gay. was like, she's hot. I'm gay. Yeah. And she's beautiful, and, and I'll put her on our website and, you know, the podcast uh, pictures and stuff. So, now, she also dressed in men's attire. Okay. So, Marlena Dietrich probably got that from her. Yeah! <laughs> Holy shit! And a lot of other people. Right. Um, and she was quite open about her several lesbian relationships. The latter was especially closely uh, followed her lesbian relationships yeah. and reported on in the Hong Kong media. Okay. Now, sophisticated magazine editors often refer to her romantic interests as her, quote, bosom friend and good <laughs> sister. Perhaps because all female opera troupes with male impersonating actresses were quite popular in the 1930s. So there were drag kings in Chinese opera. There, I, we like, we just men, talked about yeah, that. The men were traveling, doing all the women yeah. parts, but there were also all female 
troops traveling doing the men's parts as well interesting who who was her name that i just uh, annie hindle annie hindle yep. yes yep. she it's written yep. on that she came paper. from england um she came yeah yeah so it's, like uh, so it's amazing. it's like yeah it's it's all of this was going about so not just in the 19 1994 you said it was 93 okay you know <laughs> Give or take, maybe that one that one case in 1991. Yeah, maybe that was like the one time. Okay. And then we started AIDS. That was awkward. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. of the you know. Yeah, exactly. But other than that, it was so. Well, <sighs> she and so a lot of people think because of the all female, it was more accepted, and so her appearance, her appearance and relationships didn't cause much controversy. I think like it in, wasn't even a big deal. Well, with Annie Hindle, it was a similar like yeah. she she was. She was weird, but it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. People were just like, yeah. I think people had a more of a like, do you boo? <laughs> yeah. Back I then. mean, I really do. I feel like we, we like to think of like, oh, well, now we're open. But back then. No. No, we go up and down. In you the guys. 30s, yeah, we go up and down. So now um, it didn't mean, however, that there was no sensational reports on the matter. In 1938, Lee Kwong, a young uh, Sing Toy Daily News reporter, expressed his astonishment towards everything about Esther, calling her, quote, living proof of the possibility of same-sex love, remarking that, quote, it's not just work, address, manner, and dress, it's her sensibility that was completely that of a man, end quote. Yeah. So... Uh, now, after China, so and and that's about all they talk about. Even though she was openly gay and she dressed and, and had girlfriends, I mean, and well, what's what I find really interesting is I rem- when I was a child and I had no idea about any of anything, right. and I because gay hadn't been well, gay wasn't invented yet. Yes, yeah, so. um, <laughs> it wasn't until I was. 14 or 15 yeah, it, it hadn't come out of the petri dish right as it were because it was like still like brewing right i think is the official term right um that because my personal sensibilities was very like straight mm-hmm. i couldn't see what it really was right, and so right. i would be like well if a woman is attracted to Another woman who's kind of like a man, like, why doesn't she just want a man? Right, right, right. Because you it's, think it's that simple, yeah. Because yeah. you really do think it's that simple. Yeah. But see, here's the thing. I was a child, <laughs> right? So, like, it's okay because children yeah. shouldn't really understand much about sexuality, like, anyways, right. because, like, biologically, we're still working on it. Right. Right? So, like, that's what one of the things that I think is important to teach. I think we learn from the Native Americans is the mm-hmm. different... Oh man, I can't. I, I can't off the cuff explain you, but we talked about. Yeah, this we talked about ago. the. Uh, the what is the saying? Um, uh, two spirit. Yeah, it's a two spirit. Two spirit. Yeah. Two spirit. Yeah, and and there's like six, six or something, mm-hmm. something like that of different uh, tendencies. Mm-hmm. Like dresses like a man, but also likes men. Dresses yeah. like a man, likes women. Yeah. And they're all normal. And yeah. it's all normal. It's all normal. It's, yeah. it's, all, it's all normal. It's nothing weird about it. And so, yeah, so that's, but that's basically, even though she was openly gay, like, and living her best life, yeah. like, that's really the only, it didn't like, she wasn't, there's was no trauma. She didn't, right. she wasn't persecuted. She just, I just wanted to mention it because she lived her life like openly I love like it. so now her because this is mainly about like her her uh film work so uh now after china entered the war with japan she directed the film national heroine in 1937 about a female pilot that fights for her country oh the cantonese women's association gave her an award for the film's patriotic message and promotion of positive images of women this film was also one of the first examples of the so-called national defense cinema that would dominate the Chinese film world only a year later. Now, the film was a success, which led to Esther staying in Hong Kong, where she directed her next two films, okay. 10,000 Lovers and Storm of Envy, both, re- both released in 1938. Wow. She also co-directed the film A Night of Romance, A Lifetime of Regret with Wu Peng and, and Lung Wei Man. And I feel like the, she got pregnant. Yeah, no. <laughs> In 1939, she created the film It's a Woman's World. It's a Women's World, which had an all-female cast showca- showcasing 36 women in different professions. What? This is 1939. That's not American. It's crazy, right? That's... Now, 
Uh, see what I did there. By, <laughs> by October of 1939, the war's progress uh, prompted her to return to the U.S. Yeah. But wartime Hong Kong remained on her mind. She spent several months in Hollywood learning about the new developments in the motion picture business before directing Golden Gate Girl from 1941, which received a favorable review in Variety that year. The film was an immigrant saga situated um, against the backdrop of the rice bowl movement, an overseas Chinese community effort to raise funds for China's war with Japan. Now, this film makes use of the documentary footage taken by Grandview film director, uh, company director Joseph Sun, and also gave Bruce Lee... His what? screen debut oh as a god. baby girl. Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> oh, he's a little girl. He's in the little he's the the one one. Oh. And then he grew so, up to kick everybody's that, ass. That's right. Bruce Lee's <laughs> the man. Now, after the war, Esther decided to set up her Chinese language filmmaking operations in the U.S. And in January of 1947, the Tsingtao Evening News reported that one major factor for her decision may have been that the film production costs in the U.S. were one third of the costs in Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. Hong Kong is a very expensive city. She set up her own company, Silverlight, and produced two color motion pictures back to back. Backstreet uh, in 1948 adapted Fanny Hurst 1931 bestseller of the same title and resets the story in a Chinese American community. This woman is oh, a pioneer. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Oscar Michaud? No. So Oscar Michaud is a very famous, um, he was an African-American filmmaker, a pioneer. He, I think he's, I think he was in Nebraska. He was in the Midwest and we're like, wow, his brother. And he, he made all these like short films, all these films, Oscar Michaud, because he couldn't break into Hollywood because. Okay. So all these films have black cast. Like, so he was the, Yeah. Oscar Should Michelle. we see them now? Yeah, Should you can Netflix, find them. He's like, buy that or something. With film people, he's pretty well known. Okay. Oscar Michelle, but no one's ever. I haven't heard of Esther Ng, and I wonder if right. she's only well known in the Asian American community. Yeah, I'm sure every Asian American's like, duh. But we all yeah. should know about but we her. We should all know about. I should know about Oscar Michelle. Yeah. We should all know because they're all Americans. People. She's yep. American, like, and she was a woman directing film. So yeah, amazing in the 30s. So uh, now she returned to Hong Kong to make a war film. Between 46 and 47, after months of preparation that included location hunting in southern China, however, she had to abandon the project because of the war. By mid-1947, she had returned again to uh, California, where she made The Blue Jade that co-starred another Cantonese opera singer, Fei-Fei Li. Um, Esther followed it up with another film with Li titled Too Late for Springtime from 1949 about a Chinese girl's relationship with a Chinese American GI. Oh, really? This is amazing. That's this was followed up by a film shot in the Hawaiian islands titled mad fire, mad love about a romance between a mixed race woman. I'm assuming like, uh, Asian and maybe white yeah. and a Chinese sailor. Interesting. This is so amazing. That's, where are yeah. these movies? Um, you can find them probably in Asian American archives, but a lot of them are lost. They say some oh, of them. That's um, awful. But you, I'm sure they're out there somewhere. We just need to know where to look. Yeah. Um, with the but they ex- existed. They, they were did. around. People watched them. This is amazing. Like yeah. people are always like, "Oh, why don't you people make your own movies? Why don't we Asian Americans did?" Yeah. We, they just don't yeah. have the the profile. Yeah. You know, or the distribution. So mm-hmm. now with the because ex- that shit takes. Not just money, but but privilege. Privilege, especially does. back then. I mean, now you yeah. put it online or something. But, yeah. But back then, you actually needed a theater to put it in, mm-hmm. and you know, so everybody in the the Chinese American community probably know of these films. I listened to an interview with Aquafina, and she oh, talks yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. How like now, be, they, Hollywood wasn't looking to cast nope. Asians in anything, yep. but YouTubers mm-hmm. love her. Yeah. That's how she got, she was able to put, and that's how the white men in power are going, oh, they'll make money. Yeah. But now, but the trick is, is to keep the momentum going and you're not just a fad Right. Or, you know, you have to back it with with real talent. Yeah. Like, and Aquafina specifically and, is, is very specific and you know, consistent talent. And, you know, because the great thing about America, I think, which is for some reason we don't seem to get this, is that we are a multicultural society. That's why we're awesome. She was literally That's born. Awesome. In the United States it. in 1914. And she was able to do this shit 
all this shit. So, yeah. So imagine if Hollywood had been open to non-white people so, hey, doing stuff. Because the talent yeah. was there and the ambition was there. So, you know. But, oh, so, my yeah. God. Could you imagine? Can you Could imagine you if they were more open? Yeah. How, How uh, rich our cinematic history would even be richer. The depth and our yeah. and, and the... Oh, my God. Because I want to see these movies. Yeah. So, um, now, with the end of the uh, Chinese Civil War in 1949, many of the Cantonese opera and film actors that had supported Chinese language filmmaking in the U.S. returned to China and Hong mm, Kong. Okay. So the talent pool dried up and it forced her to cease filmmaking. Now, at first I thought it was because of racism, but I think she always operated out of outside of Hollywood because she probably yeah. tried. It was like, yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's not. she probably so she's just making, didn't occur to her. She's making, just like degree. Oscar Micheaux, Esther Ng was making films, products for her people. Yeah. Because they wanted to see themselves be heroes. They wanted to see themselves yeah. be doctors. They wanted to see mm-hmm. themselves be uh, fallen women. They wanted to see themselves be pilots. Yep. On the screen. All, all the things. All the things. So, um, so she's just like, fuck it. So, but because of the talent pool, it dried up. And imagine the amazing amount of talent these people had. So, um, so she took over a film distribution business started by her father to bring Hong Kong films to the U.S. Okay. And in 1950, but in 1950, she stopped making films for a time to go into the restaurant business with her friend, Bobo. That sounds a, exhausting. A Chinese actor living in New York. Okay. For a time, she supported him and managed his stage career in the U.S. and later named a restaurant she co-founded as Bobo. Okay. So from that point on, Esther decided to try her hand seriously with the restaurant business and eventually opened up five Manhattan restaurants. What the fuck? Really? Esther was making bank. Damn. She was like, you know, I make how much doing how much? To open and succeed at one restaurant look really hard. Five. That's five. Okay. This is a woman. Like an American, a Chinese American woman. That's amazing. So uh, from, so she, now she, so she ended up opening up five Manhattan restaurants, including the Esther Ng restaurant that opened in 1959. She's my shiro. I wrote here. She is my shiro. I bow down to Esther Ng. Yeah, no, she's better than all of us. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, on January 25th, 1970, at the tender age of 55, she died. What? But she left an amazing legacy as a director, writer, producer, and distributor of films at a time when it seemed impossible for most women, and especially women of color, to do what she did. Yeah, yeah. When she- How did um, she die? um, It's set of pneumonia. And also, 55 is very young, but she did a lot of work. Like, she's a lot done in her life yeah, maybe, yeah. You know. when she was uh, so when she died in early 1970 obituaries appearing in variety as well as the new york times remembered her for being a filmmaker a restaurant owner and a hub of chinese film culture in the u.s mm-hmm. now she's very important on april um i'm almost finished here um, on April 1st, 2013, a documentary about the life and career of Esther Ng titled Golden Gate Silver Light premiered at the Hong Kong International Film Festival. The film was directed by Louisa Wei and was inspired by the 2006 discovery of Esther's photo albums dated between the years of 1928 and 1948. Wow. During the production of the film, the director, Louisa Wei, found more albums, but no audio or film records of Esther Ng. S. Louisa Wei's 2014 feature documentary, Golden Gate Girls, compares the media representation of Esther Ng with that of Dorothy Arzner, a fellow director who directed films from the 1920s to the 1940s. This is another woman. Wow. Now, Judith Maine, the author of Directed by Dorothy Asner, Arzner, is interviewed in the documentary about Esther. And she said, quote, I love the fact that the history of woman filmmakers now include Dorothy Arzner and Esther Ng as the two as the two of the real exceptions who proved it was entirely possible to build a successful film career without necessarily being a part of the mainstream identity, end quote. That's amazing. Now, one last thing, one side note. Um, yeah. A lot of the mainstream press. Uh, so in the article that my friend sent me about Esther Ng, I yeah. read the comments. And so a lot of the mainstream press, and even in this article, it said that all of her films have been lost. All of Esther Ng's oh, films really? have been lost. But then a commenter by the name of Simon Lung 
L-E-U-N-G, wrote, quote, just a quick correction, not all of Esther's films are lost. I know for a fact that that Golden Gate Girl exists as I gave a copy of it to the HK Film Archive back in the early 2000s. Oh. People associated with the Film Archive and the Bruce Lee family had it in their possession for years, oh. not knowing that it was considered a lost film. Of course, as some will know, the film actually contains the first appearance of the future Bruce Lee as a baby girl, no right. less. And it, and it is one reason that the film hasn't been totally lost. There's a book by Frank Bren also and Law Carr that provides an autobiography to Esther Ng and her works if anyone is interested, end quote. And that was what the uh, comment said. So oh, that is that's Esther why you were like, Ng. I'll get to you. Yeah, well, because also... Yeah. You know, if you're unless you were part of the mainstream, like unless you had an MGM contract or a power, yeah. Paramount contract, there, people thought you weren't doing anything. Yeah. Like, and that's just totally not true. It, yeah. It's harder to find sometimes because they're not as preserved. Um, it wasn't uh, there wasn't a system. Right. In. in in place to preserve anything and it's not that readily available to the public now like yeah. we can go to the film academy tv academy here and find all of this other stuff but you know if you were working outside of the main studio system mm-hmm. it was harder to find your stuff but so. i think it's just so impressive to hear stories of people who said okay i obviously can't do that yeah i'm gonna do this and and we're successful at it like and, and be so successful yeah she was very successful also to open a restaurant you need a lot of money she clearly made a lot of money not one but five, five. restaurants successful that's probably what killed her it wasn't even I the mean, filmmaking girl, she was that, like oh the filmmaking was me. the easy part like, i know right <laughs> but that's esther ing and she was openly gay and she didn't hide and she just lived her life on her own terms and so she's an inspiration amazing man. right i love her we had some kick-ass women today yeah we did we always do we that, did right? it was true oh. i love us <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, uh, that wraps it up for this episode of Notorious Women Podcast. Guys, remember to follow us on all the things at Notorious WM Pod on Twitter on Facebook and our email, which is notoriouswmpod at gmail.com. Our Instagram account is the only thing that's different. That's Notorious Women Podcast. And don't forget, if you want to become a patron, patron. if you like today's episode or if you want to see us do more kick-ass women like this uh, and you just want to help us out, you know, go to our mm-hmm. Patreon page and that's at patreon.com slash Notorious Women and click on become a patron button. You can sign up for a little, as little as a dollar a month yep. or you can do $20 a month. Or you can do a one-time payment of $100 yeah. or $100,000, whatever works for you. $500, we'll yeah. take it. You know, so, all right, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Ooh.